It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the Monday morning edition, I think is the better way to call these in the offseason. Monday morning quarterback here, Justin Ferguson in Auburn, Alabama. Dan Peck also in Auburn, Alabama. Hello, Dan. Hello, Justin. Hello, Painter. Hello, Peck Pack. Painter, of course, always on the ones and twos. Mr. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. Painter, you're wearing a Josh Rosen shirt that when you first came on the Zoom when we started talking, I laughed for probably two solid minutes for it. Uh, for the long-time listeners, very long-time listeners, back to the radio show days for Painter and I may remember Painter's uh, affinity for one Josh Ongoing. Rosen. Ongoing. Yeah. Ongoing. You still think he needs a shot somewhere. It's, it's never too late. Look at Bo Nix. You can turn it around at any moment. How are we doing, Painter? We're, we're doing well. We're doing well. For those who are curious, the shirt says it's a Josh Rosen thing. Uh, I think it says you wouldn't understand it or you wouldn't get it. Yeah, which is true for most people. In the uh, You love a shirt that is like accurate to like 99% of the population. Because like even if you know who Josh Rosen is, you'll probably be like, why is this guy still wearing a Josh Rosen shirt in 2023? And then everyone else is like, who's Josh Rosen? <laughs> like, perfect. No, no notes. Remember when he had the hot tub in his dorm room? Great, great times. I think that was like the peak of, of Josh Rosen mania. And Dan, obviously with your connection to UCLA, I'm sure you have some Josh Rosen takes yeah. floating around in there. No, I mean, we're, we're, old, we're old chums. We're pals. We're <laughs> Bruins. I mean, so, so I, uh, look, have, have, I, have I been in that hot tub? I can't, I can't talk <laughs> about these kind of things. So I'm also, I was a, a Rosen believer. Oh, I was I too. To, to hold out to the very end and uh, – and you know, I thought maybe maybe it would work in Arizona. And you know, I'm st- I'm starting to let go of it. It's one of those quarterbacks that it was may- maybe it's not in the cards. But yeah, he uh, there there was there was a lot to like when it was working for for my man. You know, he was Justin. We've talked about this on other shows. Uh, dual sport athletes who had to specialize in the right, yeah. more profitable. Uh, Rosen was one of the best tennis players in America earlier in mm-hmm. his high school career and then switched to, I guess his, his parents got him a quarterback's coach and he uh, quickly became a high-level high school quarterback, but he was a, a tennis prodigy before uh, switching I, to a... So may, maybe it'll be like Rick Ankeel and he'll switch back to tennis and, and shock us all by <laughs> going back to his, his first love. In a couple of years, he's at the French Open just, just, just smashing people. That would be great. I would love that. Yeah, we've talked Joshua. about this before. Joshua Ballinger Lippincott Rosen. That's a that's a whoa. He's got a fancier name than you do. And actually, coincidentally, we've talked a lot about names on this podcast recently. Uh, Ballinger was a last name on uh, one side of my family, so another Josh Rosen connection for me. With a with a name with a name like that, he should have been on the Penn team that just beat Auburn yeah. in, uh, in baseball over the weekend, right? I mean, he's got the, he's got the name and the boorish manners of a Yaley with, uh, <laughs> with, 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 that, with, with that sort of uh, – what was it again? Give it, give it to me again, Pam. Joshua Ballinger Lippincott Rosen. And you mentioned Penn uh, doing a wiki dive. It says his mother is a Quaker who was the captain of the Princeton lacrosse team. So there's a tie in oh, there, I wow. guess. Yeah. I mean, his mom's like a legit Quaker. And I, I guess there's still a lot of Quakers still going around. I mean, how many how many people are in the United States are still Quakers? I wonder. Like as as something that's like you know they're one of the originals uh, on the in the colonies of of, of society's sex that um, you know kind of kind of got this whole thing rolling. 
Speaking shout of your out, names, shout out to any shout out to any Quakers in the Peck Pack. If, yeah, if, yeah, if if any of you are Quakers, that are, I knew I used to know somebody who was a Quaker, and I and I think I met him in college. But um, yeah, if you're out there, shout out to you, Penn Quakers. Not as much. Uh, some 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 rough feelings this weekend uh, from those in the Armed Faithful. We 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 talked a little bit about baseball. We had Adam Cole on not too long ago. Um, I guess we can kind of kick off here r- real quick. Um, don't want to belabor the point too much, but Auburn going down 0-2 in the region and uh, out early uh, and the end of the regular season. It, it just felt like, you know, it's that whole thing about, like, do you peak too early? And it felt like Auburn was not peaking early at all. But they will go down as a team that played its best month of ball, really the final month of the regular season. They were playing excellent ball. And then just here in the postseason, the bats didn't really quite quite hang up. And Penn had a great pitching staff. Um, and, you know, Southern Miss, we, we talked about Southern Miss, Dan. Like, Southern Miss is a good mid-major team, and that's a, that's been a really good program out of uh, out of what is now the Sun Belt. They're now a Sun Belt team. Um, but, yeah, it's a tough, tough way for it to end because for a month there, Auburn baseball was one of the hottest teams in America. And ultimately they're not going to get anything in the trophy case to show for it. Yeah, d- disappointing – Disappointing ending to a season that showed promise when they turned the corner in league play and started beating teams like South Carolina and LSU. You know, when it looked like this was a team that could hang with just about anybody in college baseball, you started to wonder what if. And then they played well enough to earn themselves a regional. Uh, first time in school history that they had uh, back to back years where Auburn baseball hosted a regional. But Ultimately, in the postseason, it just it just wasn't there. They uh, they they lose a couple of disappointing games in Hoover and come back. I think a little earlier than they wanted to, and then uh, had had missed opportunities on Friday night against Penn, mm-hmm. and then Saturday just got blitzed by Southern Miss uh, early on. They they found themselves down big and had had a couple of chances even in the Southern Miss game you know had some at bats where you know if they come through they can they can chip away but it's it's baseball right two games where it, it just it didn't go their way and in an NCAA tournament format that you know take you take a a bit of a break from the regular season uh, to to play your conference tournament and then you take a little bit longer of a break to get ready for the uh, uh for for the the the, the, the postseason it just, it just it just wasn't there for Auburn uh, this uh, these last couple of days. Yeah, and it, and it's tough because like, you know, it was a team that played well at times this year, really well at times. Hosting a regional back to back years is a great accomplishment, and, and there's frustration obviously among fans, and I think I think some Auburn fans, especially online, were going through it this weekend um, because you know they felt like this team could could have capitalized more on it, but it's also just an, a reminder of like, especially in these. Sports like basketball and, 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 and baseball and softball and others where you don't have a, hey, your postseason is just one or two games. Um, it's not like football is. It's just I think success needs to – I think success in football, the definition of success needs to be tweaked anyway um, for a lot of people. But I think in baseball and basketball, it's like, yeah, you, you could run into the – I mean, Penn, for a four seed, you know, they we're recording this – and during the day on Sunday, like they also beat Sanford, like they're two and zero. Oh, the four A four seed had an incredible pitching staff, uh, guys with some really good stuff, really good ERA, played good team ball. Um, those squeezes were just 
I mean, they, they just knew where to kind of hammer away at Auburn and, 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 and playing small ball, doing what underdogs do in that sense. But, again, it's like you don't call this season a failure. You don't call this season a, this season a disappointment. And I think that's a, I think that's also the thing of like, what I would call like the, <laughs> what I would call like the NBA Twitterization of um, sports in general, where it's like everything has to be talked about in like these like grand sweeping things. Like, was this season a disappointment? Or not? It depends. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a line. You know, it's a, or it's not a line. It's a, it's a, it's a spectrum. It's just. Yeah, you know, it doesn't always have to feel like you have to like immediately jump in with something like that. And but that's that's kind of how the narrative goes, and that's how the conversation goes. I, I still think this baseball team, for what they did, it's, it reminds me a lot of the basketball team this past season. Like they accomplished some things, got hotted enough at the moment where, mm-hmm. you know, they they did some things to get to the postseason. That's like, hey, this doesn't always happen at a at a place like Auburn, and that's something to be proud of. That's some big wins, but also. People are gonna the the postseason is gonna stick out in your head, and I think that's kind of unfair with how big the season is as a whole, and that's why it all can't be as binary as was this a good season or a bad season. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that regular season championships probably are underappreciated in college basketball and college athletics in general. You know, because people are so focused on. Uh, the the postseason, the conference tournament, and and what happens in the national championship tournament, and how how you perform in the uh, in the NCAA, especially especially in basketball. Like right. I remember thinking, you know, when whenever Auburn gets eliminated from the NCAA tournament in basketball these last couple of seasons, the Virginia game is the exception, but the other tournament losses have been, you know, we we've had calls to the drive where people wonder, like, is does this make the season a disappointment or you know we've had callers who would you know suggest that Auburn is a laughing stock because they they lost early in the tournament as a high seed and you know I, I just think if you if you earn a seed like a like a two or a three or a four in the NCAAs you had such a good regular season you host a regional in baseball yeah you host a regional in baseball there there are memories to me as as disappointing as the ending might be, I right. think it's important not to let the ending overshadow everything else that was accomplished along the way. And for Auburn to have a season where they got off the mat halfway through conference play when it looked like they were in big trouble and they had a player who set a new team record for yeah. home runs in a single season in Bryson Ware. Like, I, I think this was a – It's certainly I'm not defending what happened in the regional, but no. – all told, I think it's a it, you know it's an impressive season and a uh, a season where they they certainly had their share of triumphs, even if it ends in uh, yeah. in, in disappointing fashion. I feel like it's kind of like basketball too, in the in the sense that hey, if you feel disappointed at the end of the year and it's still one that you were in the postseason and you were in a pretty good spot in the postseason, like that says something. I mean, it is a it is kind of a floor stabilizing type of year, and if you come out and I, even Auburn's players, I saw some quotes after the loss to Southern Miss, where it was like, hey, you know, it's not enough that we're hosting back-to-back regions. We want to do more. I mean, we've gotten to the college. Yeah, you want to keep pushing on there. But also it's like if you don't have it in baseball, if you don't have it for a couple of games, your whole season could be over. On the flip side, in basketball, if you don't have it for one game, your season's over. And that's that's tough because you play a whole lot more than that. And and I think it's also worth pointing out and – no one around the program is going to make this sort of excuse, but I'll I'll mention 
that they had to do everything this year without Joseph Gonzalez, who they thought they were going to have as their Friday night ace and someone who uh, looked every bit the part of a of a professional prospect uh, going into going into this season, uh, who you know has had that disrupted by a shoulder injury. But if 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 Auburn, I mean, you wonder what if a healthy Joseph Gonzalez could have contributed to this team without him. I think it's all the more impressive what Auburn was able to do in that they were able to string this kind of season together without a foundational piece of the pitching staff uh, available for, for for most of the year. So Auburn out in baseball at the regional level. Don't worry, Auburn fans. If you want your revenge on Southern Miss in some small way, Auburn does play or is scheduled to play uh, Southern Miss in 2026 in football. So might be a little bit a little bit of a while before you can take it up against the Golden Eagles. But I didn't want to use that as a clumsy segue into the the um, topic of scheduling because we had our premium podcast this past week uh, with our buddy. Jordan Hill, who was down at SEC Spring Meetings, you know, a day after we recorded that podcast, the SEC comes out and says, hey, we have a decision on our schedule, kind of. Um, 2024, once Texas and Oklahoma come in, they're going to um, stay at eight games, but it's going to be a provisional one, and they're going to continue to kind of look to the future. It does seem that Greg Sankey wants nine games. It does seem that the SEC would love uh, the that ESPN would fork over some more money if they're going to give them a little bit more uh, inventory in terms of quality quality games uh, for the networks. Um, it did also seem like there were just wasn't enough. There weren't enough teams that were just all aboard on jumping to nine early. There were reservations, and like what we talked about in the last podcast, was, it was like the fact that there are teams that were worried about who their three permanent opponents would be in a nine game schedule. There were teams that were worried about going to nine to get into bowl games. There were a myriad of reasons why you'd be against switching to nine. Um, it sounded like Auburn, from what Hugh Freeze said, you know, last week in Destin, it did seem like Auburn, among other teams, are going to be like, all right, let's let's see how, let's see how this whole expanded playoff thing works, and see what kind of what what a twelve team playoff like who gets who gets in. What does their schedule mean to them getting in before they want to make any decisions? And I think there's so many of those reasons that they all you could kind of just clump them together, and that's how we're sticking at eight instead of nine. Uh, somebody made a good point. Um, I can't remember who it was over the weekend. I think it was uh, a couple of folks who were um, who were down at Destin. Uh, so apologies if somebody made this point. I might remember off the top of my head. I want to give them credit, but it sounds like Texas and Oklahoma want nine. And it sounds like Sankey wants nine as well. So it's like when they become full voting members of the league, it's going to be a lot more likely that it happens. Um, but I think it was just too much for them to jump into it right now. And instead, you're going to get a year of, you know, staying at eight and being fine with eight. Um, the interesting thing is that they said that they were going, the SEC said that they were going to come up with a new schedule for 2024 based on balance and rivalries. So there, there are 2024 um, you know, opponents set, uh, which we talked about recently as you know, Auburn would play all the teams in the West and uh, was supposed to host Florida next year at home. We had talked about, Dan, Texas, Oklahoma coming in. One plays a West schedule, one plays an East schedule. They do it that way. Divisions are gone, though, and it sounds like they're going to rewrite this whole thing. And it'll be very interesting to see how Auburn comes out on the other side of it. Right, that was one of the announcements from Destin is that on 
is June 14th. The SEC Network is going to unveil all of the opponents for the 2024 schedule for all teams in the SEC, including Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would be tempted, uh, if I'm the conference, to, to tear up the existing schedules and the existing rotations. And uh, if you, if you want to give teams two or three permanent opponents and then figure out the other six or the other five games – uh, do do it that way, and I would, uh, you know, so, something I suggested on the drive is use use a floating average of the last five years or the last seven years. Figure out the top eight teams in the league and the bottom eight teams in the league, and try to make sure everybody plays four and four, and balance the schedule that way. So if you're, you're you know, everyone's schedule would have four representatives from that designated top eight, four from the bottom eight, along with preserving the rivalries I think there's a way they could do that and if they're not worried about keeping the divisional rotations alive then then I would I would hope they explore that and give everyone the best while also most balanced schedules possible is anybody else laughing at how silly it is for people outside the SEC footprint and market to be like oh the SEC scared to go to nine games like us the us tough us tough conferences and I know, like, Peter Burns had that, that tweet the other day where he was like, yeah, none of the teams that have a nine-game conference schedule has ever won the national title. I don't think, personally, I don't think that is really, you know, correlation there. But I will point out that it's like, I believe uh, it was Mike Golick Sr. who, who said, that, said this the other day. He's like, if you're the SEC, like, no one's holding a gun to your head and, force, and getting you to nine games. Like, nine games would be good for money if you can get more out of it. But it's like... I think Golik said, like, give me a compelling reason to, to go to nine. I mean, the SEC is, as it stands right now, the the pinnacle of college football continues to win championships. It's the most competitive league. Now, the Big Ten is the closest thing to that, and they do nine, and they do the no FCS thing. But also, it doesn't really – I mean, it hasn't hurt the SEC. And all it does is just people who are – I don't want to say jealous of the SEC or just anti-SEC. Like, it just – a lot of people like that are just going to point it as like, oh, they're scared or whatever, blah blah blah. Like you're like, if you're in the Pac-12 or you're in the Big Ten, let's say the Pac-12. Pac-12 is even funnier when they do this. It's like just because you just because your schedule gets to you know you get to play Arizona, uh, you know, or Colorado, to, you know, to get to that ninth game or whatever, it doesn't make it a tougher conference or a tougher schedule than. If the SEC, you know, it stays at eight, and I just I, I find it all silly that that's the case because, and I think it's part of the reason why Greg Sankey said what he said and did what he did this past week in Destin. It's just like, okay, we'll go to nine. I'd love to go to nine. Give me a reason to go to nine, and if it's more money, you'll take the nine. But com- like, it's not going to position the SEC any better. They're they're playing with house money at this point. They have all the leverage. They're the best conference. Well, and it sounds like. It sounds like there were teams in the SEC that were voting based on whether or not the extra conference game would provide more money yeah. from ESPN, which would which would be another compelling reason, you know, from that camp of teams that were that were skeptical of playing a nine game conference schedule. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it it long term, if the SEC is going to stay at eight, I would hope that they supplement it with two Power Five out of conference games. A year, yeah, I think uh, but, that's a good idea. But, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing Greg Sankey is thinking that come 2025 he can land a deal with ESPN that can get 
extra conference games on the schedule and uh, you know make make enough of the league happy to uh, to grow the schedule that way. It just sounds like the timing wasn't great for for this situation. And, and I guess there's an ESPN layoff uh, sort of angle to this too, where ESPN maybe the optics of give, giving the SEC a huge new deal while they're in the midst of yeah. layoffs yeah, as a Disney, company. Disney's doing a ton of layoffs right now. That's affected ESPN for sure. Right, and and so maybe ESPN doesn't want to announce a new rights deal or, yeah, or, or a renegotiated yeah. rights deal right now. But I think eventually, and eventually is probably 2025, uh, we get a nine-game conference schedule and enough of the league is happy with the deal that it's it's something that's that's worthwhile for all parties involved. Because these are, you know, it's millions of dollars a year per school that we're talking about if you add a conference game to the schedule and a TV network compensates the league fairly for it. So I, I could see why there was some hesitation from, from those schools. Yeah, I just, again, and this might have come to come across too harshly or too strongly, I, I don't have a ton of sympathy for the teams that are like, hey, we want to stay at eight because we want to make a bowl game. It's like, okay, if that's what your definition of success is, like in, in you're trying to survive in the SEC, like that's – really short-sighted and i look i don't cover kentucky i don't cover mississippi state i don't cover some of these teams that would be in that position but it just like holding up the rest of the league because you want to make sure you get to the you know st petersburg bowl is a lot different than saying hey we want to hold off until we see what this does for the playoff we want to see if we can get more money out of it you know like if you're going to force us to give up a home game okay because i mean i think that might be part of what teams like Auburn and, and, and Alabama and others would be would be pushing against this or at least being hesitant to pull the pull the trigger on nine. It's like, hey, if you're gonna take away a guaranteed home game for us in the in the in the course of these paycheck games, we need to be able to get some more money out of it. And that would come from a bigger ESPN deal. I just I still don't have a ton of sympathy for the we're just trying to make a bowl game kind of crowd. And just a slight note, it's not super you know, critical. I think we all know where each of us stands on the whole uh, conference talent. Uh, debate and, and the competition debate, uh, but a quick Google search brought up, and this is from Brady Balhorn at BNB Football, year old data, but he he listed out it in 2022 that the SEC had 505 active NFL players from the 2021 season. The Big Ten had 381, ACC 307. So like big dip there. Once we get more updated data, I would imagine that it'd be pretty similar. And Spot Track. Uh, actually has uh, a list of active NFL players listed by team, and no surprise, Alabama and LSU are at the top, but five of the top ten teams are SEC teams. So, you know, yes, the national titles, uh, obviously a, a relevant factor in that debate, but just simply the amount of players in the NFL kind of puts all of that to bed. Question for the two of you. If there are no restrictions, who do you want to see on Auburn's 2024 football schedule eight teams were tearing up the old schedule yeah build build me a new one justin and painter well painter i think we can combine our heads for this I, i'm sure you don't disagree that alabama and georgia have to be on there i feel like Absolutely. if you can find a way to get off of the home and road split yes some way if you can pull that off do that um but i i doubt that will happen but um do y'all care much where that game is played? I guess just because I grew up with it being at the end of the year, I'd like the Georgia game to go back there. I know some people aren't as concerned about when the game is actually played, especially given that the result has 
It's been tough I think it needs to be in November. I think it needs to sure. be in November. I don't think it has to absolutely be in the second to last SEC game of the year. But I like this year, Auburn in, in 2023, Auburn is playing, uh, I believe that is Arkansas and Vanderbilt. Yeah, they play Vanderbilt in week one of November and then Arkansas. If you put that right there, if you put it where the Arkansas, or the Vanderbilt game or the Arkansas game is, well, I guess the Arkansas game is the second to last one. Never mind that. If you put it like where the Vandy game is right now, I would be fine with that. So Alabama, Georgia, any any other one you'd absolutely have to have? I would like to see you keep playing LSU if you can. Yes, yes, I, I would agree. That has been one. I know for uh, an older generation of Auburn fans, maybe the Florida or Tennessee games might mean more and than the LSU game. you were set to play Florida this, this, this next year. So we'll yeah, I guess I guess my thing is though, like the LSU game, just growing up, it meant especially I guess a lot during that Tuberville era and and partially in the Chiswick era. I mean that mm-hmm. that game meant a lot. Um, so th- that's one that and, and just go into Baton Rouge is always a lot of good, uh, good fun. I'll I'll put it on there that you play state. You've played state more than everybody besides Georgia. It's a border game. I'll give you state. You know what? I think. And to Dan, Dan and I have talked about this. I know before. I think there's more juice now, especially with who the coaches are at the in the Ole Miss game. That I would say, let's pick up Ole Miss. That gets you to five. Um, you know, and then we have interesting decisions. I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both ones you'd want to keep around. Um, I would say you have three spots left. I would say you need to play one of either Texas or Oklahoma. I think. I think bring in 2024. Ring it in. Bring a bring a Texas or an Oklahoma onto the schedule. Um, personally, I think Texas would be a cooler matchup. Auburn has played Oklahoma more recently in that Sugar Bowl. I'll, I'll go Texas just for the novelty of it, yeah, although it's probably going to be increasingly not a novelty moving forward. But I'll, I'll, I'll say Texas A&M at six. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, Texas, where do we go for the last two? Where do you want to go? I mean, it depends. I mean, Tennessee is an interesting one because it depends on sort of they're they're not a bottom eight no. team right now. But if you use the last five years or the last ten years to set your to set your barometer, uh, Tennessee is in fact uh, you know using those metrics a a so called bottom half of the league team. You know the ones I'm sort of indifferent to the last couple of games on the schedule because I think there's a couple of directions you could go if you want to preserve. So so what, I would what if want we, what if all right we have two here. What if we okay. what if we just said hey you're supposed to play Florida. People like the Florida game. It's an old rivalry. Let's give them Florida as well. I don't think I'm, we're looking I'm, at Florida being a juggernaut in 24. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm, they have a maybe they have a come come out of nowhere year and turn gets it turned around. But I don't think you're I don't think you're playing a national title contender if you're picking up Florida in twenty four. Feels a little top heavy to me if you're going Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas, or Oklahoma, and Florida. Like that feels like feels like you're picking up a lot of the top of the league in your schedule. I don't know if you said A and M was say, on the I schedule or not. Um, I I would say. Um, I would say choose Alabama and Georgia for sure. I think you choose either Florida or LSU. I think you choose either Texas or Oklahoma. Okay. And I think there's your top. You, you know, those those are your four games against and the so called. And we've got both. We've eight. got both Mississippi schools on here. It got both Mississippi schools. The Arkansas game has had can some I ma- flavor. Can I make an argument? I think Arkansas might be just as good, if not better, than Florida is. So picking up Florida at least would have a little bit more historical relevance. 
Yeah, you know, I think Florida's a team. They're that, recruiting pretty well right the, now. Well, they're they're the they're the anti Tennessee in that I think if you use the last five years or the last ten years to set your to to, to set your uh, your your scale, sure. uh, they are they're a they're a top half of the league team. But looking at the schedule, like looking at the roster right now, they don't appear to be no. a top half of the league team. Their win total, I think, was five and a half going into the 2024. So, I mean, I, I guess if you if you want Florida, like I understand. I agree with you about the Mississippi schools. Um, you know, I'm, if, if you want Vanderbilt, if, if you want, because it's a, you know, because it's a team with some there, there's some history there, you know, with Auburn okay. playing. Them. How, about, how about we make this? How about we make this compromise here? So you get. LSU at home this upcoming year. Let's say Florida's at home. Let's say let's say Vanderbilt's at home. Just the second half of that home and home that you just had. And then let's say let's say you bring Texas to Auburn. And then your road games are as they as you know, say this is the twenty this is twenty twenty four. So let's say, let's assume that they okay. can't fix Alabama, Georgia that easily. So let's say so. Hit me with those four again: LSU, Texas, Vanderbilt, and Florida. And Florida. That would be a. Okay. I would say, in a year where you don't have Alabama or Georgia at home, that's a decent home ticket to sell people. Like that's the, that's a solid. That's a and you have Cal coming to Jordan Hare that year as well. And then you're going to both Mississippi schools, Alabama and Georgia. Like that would be your four yes. conference road games in that situation. Yes. So okay. so it would be what you currently have right now set on the road you would have florida lsu but you would trade all we've done here is trade arkansas and texas a&m for texas and uh vanderbilt yeah i think that's i mean i, I guess if it's you know if, if it's if it's five of the top seven or top eight you know yeah. I, I guess that would be the that would be the drawback but i think it's somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood is probably about right it probably hinges on how you view florida and for that matter how you view texas sure right like yeah. i don't know how close i don't know how close texas is to the to the cut line on that you know sort of hypothetical topic you would also bottom, have so not, you also have cal new mexico ulm are set to be home games you would need to pick up one more non-conference game as well and that would right, you would so assume that would be a home game as well so you could literally land in a situation where it's like okay you have to play alabama and georgia on the on the road this year you do you do increase your strength of schedule a little bit more by adding you know having florida lsu and texas all in the same mm -hmm. on the same thing but but you could have eight home games and only four road games out of all of it yeah yeah assuming assuming alabama and georgia on the road are set in stone for Auburn's 2024 schedule, right? It would sort of be play with the other six in the and, – and by the way, I, I kind of like the Georgia game earlier in the year. I know it hasn't really paid off for Auburn on the on the schedule, but you're in, in the win-loss standings. But, like, I kind of like the, you know, spacing out, if, if especially for folks who those are the two trips they make to Auburn. I kind of understand the logic behind spacing them out a little bit. And so, you know, I, I would sort of be – before they actually moved the game, we used to kick around the idea of wh why not let the tradition be Auburn-Georgia is the conference opener and Auburn-Alabama is the final game 
of the year. And so you begin and end conference play with two really big games. And, you know, maybe that would need to move around a little. I know Georgia plays South Carolina pretty early in the schedule uh, sometimes, so it wouldn't always be uh, Georgia's conference opener or anything like that. But, you know, I think that would be, if you're, if you're looking for a way to make it a tradition, like, you know, that, that would be one, one idea to kick around. But I'm, I'm okay with spacing it out. I used to like it. I wanted it moved because I wanted division games in November, but that really doesn't matter anymore because right. we're getting rid of the divisions. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be a little more open to moving it. But I, I do kind of like some distance between the two games uh, on the schedule. Moving on in football. This is going to be kind of a one of our classic grab bag episodes where we don't have a ton of like breaking news or anything to talk about. I did want to mention where I get an idea mid conversation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it turns but I think I also a, I'm, I, I'm sorry to classic, cut you off. Lunch, that's a classic lunch break. Yeah. Uh, moment right there. you got it i need to fact check myself earlier when i started rambling about the five of the top 10 you know players teams represented in the nfl being in the sec i, I misspoke it's four uh moving oh, on oh wow all right well that 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 gives the great you've now given the big 10 all the firepower in the world great i hope you're happy let's start the show over <laughs> run it back um <laughs> i did want to talk about uh that you know we've we've discussed recently how things were kind of winded down with auburn in terms of recruiting uh well for the 2023 team transfer portal all that good stuff it does seem that there could be one more addition here in the near future um this is from our buddy uh, christian clemente at 247 reading his work here uh, he says a potential final addition for Auburn ahead of the 2023 season. Juco defensive back Chancellor Champ Anthony visited Auburn over the weekend and departed on Sunday morning. News might not be far off. Yes, sir. Might have some news for you soon, Anthony said with a smile. It does sound like Mr. Anthony is going to be an Auburn Tiger in the near future. We'll see. Um, Auburn, you know, Auburn obviously wanted a DB. Um, you know, they, they had the guy from New Mexico State in, ended up not taking him. They have a go with Champ Anthony. It looks like where they're going to land. Uh, Anthony uh, originally from, um, let's see, he plays at Tyler uh, Junior College uh, in Texas, uh, and he had offers. I think BYU is his other big offer, but Auburn um, bringing him in on an official visit here this weekend. And six one one seventy six. The word on him, uh, according to uh, the fine folks who cover recruiting. Here at Auburn, very versatile type of player. Uh, can kind of play corner and safety and nickel, star, whatever you want to call it. Can move around the, the defensive back room. Uh, very interesting that, you know, Auburn is going to be able to get one. I I have a um, I have a depth chart piece, a two-part depth chart piece going up this week. Um, and looking at the defensive back, when I went through and wrote the defensive back part, it's like, yeah, you can kind of see once you paste it all together. It's like, mm, you could probably use a little bit more, you know, if you feel like you can get some more experience at, at a certain spot now, whether that is a corner or a safety or another guy who can play the nickel. I think it was going to be interesting to see which direction Auburn went. It looks like in a guy like Anthony, if they end up landing him after all, could be a guy who can play some of everything. So keep an eye out for that. Champ Anthony uh, could be making a decision some sometime soon. In fact, we're recording this on the during the day on Sunday. Who knows? He might be already committed by the time uh, we uh, w- by the time this episode rolls out. But Champ Anthony, Dan, we talked about Auburn wanting to get another defensive back uh, in the room. This looks like a good spot for them to be in. Right, and I was thinking more a veteran safety. You know, who would say some insurance behind 
Jalen Simpson and Zion Puckett. Uh, but they have Kaufman, right, who could also – I mean, may, maybe he's – the insurance policy, uh, if they want to, if they need to move a veteran mm-hmm. to safety, and now they now they've got a little more flexibility at nickel and at dime. Uh, if the, if they want to play champ on the inside, maybe he's uh, maybe he's the third outside corner uh, coming in as as insurance behind Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James. So they've, while, while they, you they've have got a guy some like flexi- Lee playing up, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I mean, they've 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 got some flexibility, uh, and there's uh, there's a couple different combinations we could see, but that that looked to be the strength of the roster coming out of the spring, all things mm-hmm. considered, with the number of veteran options they have, and now they've added a a junior college player uh, who might be able to uh, to step in right away. Uh, according to Christian, reading the story again, he, uh, Anthony would have four years to play three, um, so he is a very you know, it wouldn't be a JUCO guy that you're just getting for a short amount of time. There's a lot of flexibility there, not only with his positions, but also with you know just how much longer he could be sticking around. We're a couple of years away from not having to do the math in our heads about all right. Was he a player was he a co- in? Was he a player in the COVID season? Yeah. Does he get the extra Steel year of eligibility? Year. We're we're we're, we're we're phasing players from that season out slowly but surely, and. Uh, and yeah, this is somebody who uh, comes in with uh, some experience, uh, having played uh, junior college. You know, mm-hmm. some some post some post high school experience, uh, but also yeah, a lot of eligibility remaining, and and not a ton of need for him to contribute right away. They'd like it, but this could be you know this this could be somebody to shore up the room that could have quite a few departures after this oh, season yeah. is over yeah. at defensive back, and it's a nice acquisition uh, for, uh, for for these coaches. Another good bridge player. We've talked about that a lot with Auburn and getting these kind of bridge players between the future and the the old guard the veterans on the team and and some position groups could usually uh could you could really use that i wanted to talk about champ anthony as well because the name champ anthony is it's 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 top tier i think when you when you think of a guy named champ champ anthony it might just be because it's like my mind immediately goes to champ bailey um where it's like db who uh has has you know in in a you know, elite name, elite game. Champ Anthony, you bring him in. I feel like Auburn's kind of rolling again when it comes in the name department. That that seems like a seems like a strong one. Um, is there any other? Is the any of you guys? We can open it up here. Are there any other guys on this team? Any newcomers where you're just like the name? I made the point not too long ago that Larry Nixon is a is like a linebacker name, but like a linebacker name from like the seventies or the eighties. Like Larry Nixon, Larry Nixon, you know, averaged 17 tackles a game, you know, for the, you know, the 84 Philadelphia Eagles. Like that's, that's who I think of when I think of a guy like Larry Nixon. If, if I had to guess uh, players on this team that are going to have the, the beat writers uh, kicking nicknames around of the new arrivals, uh, Falk comes to mind immediately as somebody who could earn himself a nickname mm. early with his play. Uh, Brian Batie. I suppose, you know, there seems like a big play threat there, you know, depending on how he's deployed. Like, that's a guy who, you know, I remember we were we were scrambling to find Ontario McCaleb uh, nicknames, you know, early on in his squirrel career. Catcher. Because it, the, the squirrel catcher, baby. And, and so he's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Petit. And then, and then I guess there's also Rivaldo. Right. right. Yeah. Who, like you just you, you know, have why, a sick why name. bother? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why bother with a nickname when your name's Rivaldo? Just call him Rivaldo every chance you get, and eventually people will. It'll be like Madonna, where people won't even remember that there's a last name or anything. It's just it's just Rivaldo. I think that should be on the back of his jersey. Yeah. 
I don't I don't know if that's I mean, what's he is end up named after the legendary Brazilian midfielder, and that's like they go by one name, uh, whatever, whatever. What is that term like? Mono. Oh, I, 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 I can't, I can't remember. Mononym. I think that's, I think that's what you would call it when you call somebody just by one name. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Rivaldo. You, you need to put Rivaldo on the back of his jersey. Absolutely. That's, that's. I don't know if that's legal. Uh, that's the other thing. It's like I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how college football like man. Do they have a mandated rule about what you can put on the back of your jersey? Mm-hmm. Does it have to just fit the the like just hey last name no matter what? Well, yeah, I mean it's not they're not that's not the XFL here, right? Like you can't put you know he hate me or something on the back of it. Like it's got to be, I think it's got. I mean, but but I don't I don't know if you you know if if, if Rivaldo would have to do something legally with his name in order to get it on the back of the jersey, or if it have to be something with the uh, with the if you have to legally change his name to Rivaldo Rivaldo or something in order to get. Rivaldo on the back of the jersey, so I don't know. Petition I, I hope to they make can, that happen. I, I hope they can figure that out because that's that's what uh, that, that's that's what I'm calling. And what uh, d- do you think? I left anybody out there as far as newcomers who could uh, you know who feel like you, you probably need to get get ready with the the possibility of a uh, of a nickname well, maybe on the D line. You've already got a, you've already got a nickname already for for Shane Hooks, Hollywood Hooks, which is. I feel like every team should have a wide receiver who goes by Hollywood at some point. Like that, that is, you know, there, there's been a run of Hollywoods, uh, in, in, uh, at the wide receiver position for a while now. So I think that's a, that's a good one to have. Um, this is not the same exercise that you're doing, but I always like Lionel little train James and Dontavious plugger, Russell plugger, big plug. You lo- you loved you loved Dontavious Russell's name. Uh, was 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 King Dunlap's first name King? Like was that uh, that that's one I'm not sure. Like if that was a nickname or if his first name or if this is like a because we've had some kings and some princes. I always uh, thought King was a. Uh, by the way, King Dunlap, according to Wikipedia, King Dunlap. Oh, I'm sorry, King David Dunlap the fifth. What's his name? Nice. If All he right. had right. if I mean, he that's... had if he had Dunlap five Dunlap V on the back of his jersey. Like that. Oh, I, I don't know how you don't go by King David at that point. Make, you, make <laughs> people call you make King King David. The, I mean, I don't know. Like King David, then Dunlap the fifth. I, I don't know. King was a uh, King was very nice to me in my time as a. Uh, and you guys are both about the same general height and size. It was fun. It was fun. Those of you don't know, those of you don't know, Dan is six nine, three thirty. That's what he was. That's what his, that's what his listed play. <laughs> Dan could have easily been a Pro Bowler, but just decided he enjoyed uh, doing this too much. Never really, he, he never, enjoyed the I, cinema. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, not, not much not much for physical contact um who was the, it that uh, we were talking about recently where we were like that like they they named multiple people in the family they they sort of they, they crept steven, up they, they cheated steven, a little bit on the name well, well no we, we were wondering if steven sings the fifth but, the new the new arrival on the D-line. by the way that's a great built-in nickname you can go ssv or ss5 like that like that's I, I, a, like referring to him as that would be is going to be great now is that is that for the gamers out there? Is that a is isn't that one of those? Uh, isn't, that like a, isn't that like a snowboarding or a skateboarding game? For the... It's either that. It's either that or, or, or a rifle you get in Call of Duty. I can't I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, I'm, I haven't I haven't picked up a controller in twenty years, so I don't I don't know these these new these new games that the kids was the playing. last game you played yeah, like OG Mario Kart. <laughs> It was the it was the NCAA college basketball game with Josh Childress. Oh wow! On the covers, so. <laughs> so specific. I love that one. 
I do. I, I did play. Uh, I did play College Hoops 2K8. People are modding. They modded the last <laughs> NCAA one for EA, but College Hoops 2K8 was always crazy because it was like you could play their dynasty mode had this such this in depth recruiting and all that, and you could play like forty years in in a dynasty. Uh, I had a great uh, had a great run with a guy where I believe we started our uh, tenure at. Um, I know my brother did one at North Florida. I remember that was the big one, and then Sam Houston State. I had a Kennesaw State one before they made the tournament this year for the first time for real. I had the Owls dancing, and and I think we we would be uh, it would be a mistake to talk about Auburn nicknames, uh, especially with regards to football players, and not acknowledge that Cadillac Williams is simply like he's sitting right there at Gold, the he's sitting, golden sitting. Sitting on the throne, I think, with the best one. The the sports writer who who was able to convince people to start calling him Cadillac Williams is a saint. That is that is one of the you know, that that's a what what a contribution. I wish it's what it's what we're all hoping for, right? With what that we can coin a nickname like that and it's gonna be you know, it's it's gonna catch like I, that. You but know Cat Cadillac Cadillac Williams is just that's A plus. I tell you, there wasn't, a, there weren't a ton of highlights of the twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two season for Auburn football. But one of the ones for me personally was the official Auburn team account recognizing the bookstore as Andres Carlson's nickname because that was something stupid I gave him when he was a freshman, and so that sticking around. I don't know if I'll ever have another hit like that. Um, okay, so I, in preparation for this, because I, I felt like we might be going in this direction. Uh, a few years ago, when COVID hit and before I got laid off at the Athletic, I wrote a story because we had nothing else to do about Auburn football nicknames because that is a like a, a prime um, you know territory. And I just wrote about like the origins of every nickname that I could come up with. It was just kind of a a, uh, a like a glossary uh, of that. So at that you know everybody knows Bo Jackson's a nickname. It's not his not his given name. It's Vincent. Uh, this is when Big Cat and Booby were on the roster bookstore. Uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> Aaron Sipos's nicknames the Boomin' Onion and the Crocodile Punter those are pretty good Carnell Cadillac Williams like you said I mean that's a you, you have you have a great one there um, Mike Colon 1960s linebacker Captain Crunch which that's great great linebacker Crime Dog uh, had him in there uh, it's good to see Crime back around uh <laughs> KJ Britt. I remember Painter, Painter and I talking about this a lot. KJ being na- nicknamed Downhill. So funny. <laughs> just just clearly on the spot, Travis Williams or whoever. Like downhill, got it. All right, that's now your name. And and a name, uh, I don't know how much it really caught on, but Rod Bramblett a couple of times called um, called Trey Blackman the little ball Yep, I was going to get to that one. I, that I, that I, I actually really, is – I really like that one. That's actually my favorite Auburn football nickname of all time. I think that's the winner. To me personally, shout out to Trey Blackman. Not acknowledged enough, I think. All, oh, all things man. considered, like how how big you know if you were if you were around in 06, 07, like what what the the Trey Blackman impact was when he was out there, and so yeah, really really just such an exciting player. And uh, again, hope hope, uh, hope he's hope he's doing again. Well. It's one of those players like you know if you had a net roll as a linebacker, you automatically looked a whole lot cooler. And he had the if I remember correctly, Trey Blackman had the net roll that had the tiger eyes on it, right? Yeah, killer, killer, little ball of hate. Uh, I Braden Smith had four different nicknames when he was at Auburn. Uh, Drago, the Terminator, the Hulk, and Gigantor were all ones that he that he was given. Uh, hey, we were talking about him recent. This guy recently, Painter, uh, Jay Prosh, the Juggernaut. 
not just because he looked like the character, but like could actually actually do that. Uh, we had Legatron, Little Ball Hate, Little Train. Let's see. I, I knew we had another one. Oh, I underrated one from the air. I don't think people go back to it as much, but uh, when uh, Kevin Steele gave Zacoby the nickname Ricochet Rabbit was was a great one. Um, let's see. Is there another one? A tank, T Will. Uh, and then of course <laughs> I put it worm was on the worm was on the list. And then, uh, one more, one more b- before we move on, uh, white lightning for Will Hastings, which was a great nickname. What, what's up? Was, was that Shivers last year of eligibility? Is he, um, yeah, is, I think is he, is he out of college? I think he's what, done. What, what, um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear about him with a, with an NFL team. So I wonder if I wonder what, what's, uh, what's going, what's going on there. He signed, uh, as a UDFA with the Seahawks. Well, I th- I think that's a guy with a unique set of skills that I would not count out of oh, yeah, overperforming, no. overperforming as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, I, he would be a kick returner for me, absolutely, a hundred percent, one hundred percent. All right, we need to talk a little basketball before we go. Before we do that, let's take care of some business. Hi, thanks for listening to our show. If you like more of this show, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. You get all the newsletters as well. For on Auburn football and men's basketball. They all get sent to your email inbox about 6 a.m. Central Time most weekday mornings. You will have something in there. Um, this week, you've got this podcast came in today on a Monday. By the time you're listening to this, Tuesday and Wednesday, I will have the depth chart posts coming out. Thursday, Premium Pod, uh, Dan and Painter uh, will be running it. They'll be on the next two podcasts, taking a little care of some, some housekeeping here. I'm going uh, overseas on a family trip. Uh, I'll be gone for about a week and some change. I will be back in a week and a half or so. I will still be writing. I'll have the depth chart the next couple days. uh, And then, you know, could be chiming in with some more in a couple weeks. Dan Peck will be doing the mailbag on Friday. Dan, how can people give you their questions if they want, want, want to ask you anything in the world? I guess if you're still on Twitter, you can use uh, at Daniel Allen Peck and send send me a tweet that way. If I haven't blocked you, uh, but then also um, uh, yeah, email email Justin. Yep. You know, you one, email one me. only Jay Ferg. Yep. You, know, you can email me, and, or and or you can reply t- if you reply if you get the emails for the podcast or the newsletter. You can just hit reply into one of those and type in your question, and it'll get, it'll go it'll send straight to me. Uh, so if you ever need to get out with me and don't know my email address or don't want to look it up. You can do it that way. Dan's going to answer all of the questions, so send in some good ones here this week. You can also tweet at him as well, at Daniel Allen Peck. Yeah, look, looking looking forward to that. Now, have you disclosed publicly where you're going, no. Justin Ferguson? Have you not? Okay, so you don't want people knowing you're going to North Korea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, or is it? I, I you know, it's it's a it's a diplomatic mission. I can I can at least tell you that much. Um, the Observer is expanding. Yes, <laughs> we've got big things lined up. <laughs> Well, we've got we've Sweden got big already, that, yeah. so now now we're exciting, trying to exciting new pod. Yeah, no, it's Finland. Finland is the, Finland is our is our. Go-to. How dare me? How yeah. dare I? I even got it wrong too. It's it's Finland. Um, we're we're big in the Nordic states, and I will actually be in a Nordic state for a little while. Um, you know, in the next couple of days, so I'm looking forward to I, that. I was just kidding. I, this is this is supposed to be a sponsored read. I was just kidding. Uh, Justin is not going to North Korea. Like, I yes, yes, our new sponsor, is North Korea. <laughs> the dear leader is our new sponsor. Um, no, uh, yeah, big things coming in East Asian markets for the Albert Observer. Stay tuned to this space. Uh, no, uh, Dan will be on the podcast or on the on the mailbag duty on Friday. 
Uh, Painter and Dan will be doing the next couple of podcasts. We'll have a try to have a special guest or two uh, jumping in as well. Uh, I'll be gone for the next couple of podcasts, but I'll be back. In fact, I just realized when we were talking earlier, Dan, my first podcast coming back will be right after we figure out what the schedule is uh, for the 2024 season. That'll be a good time for me to hop back on in. So send your emails uh, to me or tweet them to Dan. Get your questions into Dan. Uh, Dan, as you all know, if you listen to this podcast or follow him on Twitter, is a man of many interests, and he has really good takes on a lot of different things. So send them our way. Uh, you can also help out the show. By the way, subscribe Auburn Observer. Can I, can I take a question? Can I take a question or two just from like an uh, an advice column? Yes. I find online. Can I find some old dear, dear some, old, some old dear Abbeys? Yeah. yeah, some old dear Abbeys and answer yeah. answer those. There you go. Um, subscribe to the Observer. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. Uh, jump on in. We email everything to you. It's a good good time to sign up. Got a lot of stuff coming in the works here over the next couple of months as we get closer and closer to football season. And um, yeah, the go to the Observer or you can click links in the description or click the buttons on the email. It'll get you where you need to go. Super easy, quick to sign up. There's another way you can help us out with no money down. What is that, Painter? You know the deal by now, but just in case, rate, review, subscribe takes just a few seconds, and it helps us out tremendously. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, it does help us out tre- tremendously. You can uh, you can give give us five stars, say something nice about us, and we will read it on the air. We've got a new review to read. You ready for it, folks? Let's go. This is from Texas Tiger alum. It says, worth the price of admission. Been a long time subscriber, and I can confidently say this is the best Auburn coverage perspective in football and basketball. While I personally would benefit from uh, switching to the annual subscription and save a few bucks, this is the only thing I willfully don't do the annual subscription and stay month to month so that more of my money goes to the FERG to keep this good thing going. Well, very kind. Thank you so much, Texas Tiger alum. And again, we're vain people. We read that on, on the air, but we want to shout you guys out for helping us out. Very, very kind of you. And uh, hopefully um, more of you will hop on and do the same. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, you can subscribe, but we also want you to give us five stars. That's that's the point of this this exercise right here. Also, our friends at Home Field Apparel, folks, Home Field Apparel, the number one place to buy collegiate vintage apparel. We're talking the softest T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, joggers you can find anywhere. They had an Auburn drop not too long ago, um, and then they also recently dropped an Auburn dad hat on a beautiful powder blue dad hat with the Auburn baseball script on it. Um, let me tell you something, folks. In my travels, when I'm packing to go to North Korea here in a, in a, in, a <laughs> in the next couple of days, I will say this. I did pack up uh, for, for my trip, and my luggage is – the clothes in my luggage, uh, the shirts, are almost 100% home field. I want to be comfortable on my trip, and that's why I'm going with home field. And you should go with home field too. Home field apparel – the number one place, like I said, to buy collegiate apparel. A lot of good Auburn stuff on there and a lot of other schools uh, that you may care about or just like their logos. Got a lot of cool drops going on. Um, they've got – they're putting some more smaller schools out there as well, which I think is really cool. You can get 15% off your first order at Home Field Apparel if you use the code OBSERVER when checking out. You can also get the official Auburn Observer T-shirt. If you look at our logo and say, hey, that's a cool logo. I wish I had that on a piece of clothing. Well, you can get it at homefieldapparel.com. Just search Auburn Observer. Fellas, South Dakota. What do we think? What do we think about the state of South Dakota? I know our buddy, I just shouted him out for his recruiting coverage earlier. I know our buddy Christian Clemente, a native of Montana, not a fan of South Dakota. 
Uh, there's some real heat up there in the in the in Big Sky Country between the states. But I, how do we feel about South Dakota? It's one of the only states that I have never been to. Dan, have you ever been there? Ne- never been up Dakota Way uh, before. I, I I mean Mount Rushmore is sure. one of the things that immediately comes to mind. But that's not the whole state. You know, in fact, that's not it's not all that close to where Auburn is going to play. Nope. Uh, basketball against Baylor we looked it up but I, I honestly don't know all that much about uh, and, and you've got um uh the, the the bike the bike week right that's up there as well I know sure they is. have a big uh Sturgis yeah. uh, is is where and where I, they I, did I, that I one know that. where they did that one WCW show that's why I know it is because they used to do some uh, these do WCW pay-per-view there uh, once a year back in the 90s but uh, and didn't charge admission by the way so it was a oh, free wow. show uh, that they they would do it just cuz Eric Bischoff was a a motorcycle enthusiast and he would convince them to he convinced the company to pay for his his motorcycle vacation Painter, I'm gonna, uh, every year Painter, I'm going to strike one of the uh, uh, options for um, where parts unknown is off the list I'm going to tell people right now you don't live in South Dakota have you ever been to South Dakota Never been uh, I guess I'd like to go, you know, not opposed to it. Not opposed to it. I will say I've been to like Montana and Wyoming and Idaho and Utah. I mean, I know that's further west. I've been to Minnesota for a brief amount of time. Dakota is one of the few spots I haven't hit yet. While we're talking about South Dakota, is like Dan said earlier, Auburn's going to be playing some basketball there. Auburn playing Baylor November 7th, Tuesday night at the Sanford Pavilion in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Why are they doing this, you ask? Well, Auburn wanted to line up a marquee opponent for their opener. Additionally, for some reason, the state of South Dakota is getting good non-conference, you know, neutral site basketball games. Uh, Nebraska's playing Oregon State. Oregon's playing Syracuse uh, in, in, uh, in Sioux Falls, um, in November, or I'm sorry, early season, Oregon, Syracuse, that game's in December. Um, Baylor started their season there last year, and it's back. Auburn opening their season against the Baylor Bears. Uh, remember, Auburn played Baylor uh, in 2021 as part of the Big 12 SEC Challenge against a very, very good uh, Baylor team. So it's a rematch of that game, and it opens the season as I tweeted the other day when this news was announced, um, Auburn and Auburn and uh, Auburn has not opened the season with a power conference opponent since 1988, when it faced Michigan State in the Great Alaska Shootout, uh, which is back by the way. They they brought back the Great Alaska Shootout a few years ago, and it's starting to run again. Maybe Auburn will go back up there at some point. Fellas, what do we think about Auburn opening the year against what should be a really good Baylor team uh, in Sioux Falls? Right, and I've done a little bit of research on uh, fall tourism in <laughs> Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the surrounding area. There's there's a lot to do. Um, if you're familiar with leaf peeping, uh, that's, uh, that's when people travel to areas specifically to see uh, – leaves that the leaves having changed color the autumnal sort of quality uh, to leaves and south dakota apparently is gorgeous the black hills and the badlands mm-hmm. are famous for like that that's that's something that a lot of people travel far and wide i guess they also do a lot of oktoberfest events because there's still quite a bit of uh, european uh, ancestry uh, to those areas and so uh, it's i think hosting a big if you if you have the venue for it 
hosting a large scale at a conference game uh, that will attract attention, I think, is a pretty cool way to advertise your area as a vacation destination. Not only do you have the people that will travel from both fan bases to come check it out, but you also have the television coverage that the basketball game will provide. I feel like there are people who are going to watch Auburn Baylor and maybe they'll consider uh, tourism in the South Dakota area in a way that they wouldn't have before. I know uh, my my beloved eight five zero, my you know the Florida Panhandle that uh, they host a tournament in October November, and it's it's a, a way to advertise you know the possibility of, of yeah, tourism they, in the Pensacola through Panama City area. I think I think Okaloosa Walton or sorry Northwest Florida State where Auburn just uh, got Chad Baker uh, I believe they actually play uh, some some NCAA. Like they play an early out of conference tournament, host they host it in that gym for for D one teams. So or may, maybe it's Pensacola, but but I know they've you know they, they've got they, they bring big time basketball programs down there. I think for a similar reason, it's it's a uh, it, it's it's an advertising strategy and it's a way to get the word out for tourism. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a cool uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a cool trip for Bruce Pearl and his team because you wonder. How often are those guys going to go see South Dakota if they don't do it uh, as, as part of the Auburn basketball team? Yeah, um, that is the Emerald Coast, Coast Classic that you're referring to. I know two years ago LSU went there. Uh, it's at the arena at Northwest Florida State College. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is a it, it is good to kind of bring in you know, a neutral site where people might be, hey, I'll go down to the beach. And if you go to South Dakota in the fall, I'd probably early winter, that'd probably be a good, um, a good trip for sure. Auburn playing Baylor. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a a really tough test right off the bat. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't have much basketball. No, and we can talk. It was we, more about why it was more about why the South Dakota region would. It's more economics than basketball. Well, okay, there, and well, I apologize. Well, let's get into the basketball of it here. Uh, Baylor uh, was a three seed last year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, lost to uh, lost to Creighton in the second round, but this is a team that under Scott Drew has been uh, just kind of a machine here recently. Um, they were last year. They were a three seed. The three years before that, they were one seeds, or in 2020, they were going to be a one seed. Won the national title in 21, uh, was a team that you know was a one seed in 2022. Uh, they have made the NCAA tournament each of the last five years, and I believe it's six, seven, eight, nine of the. Yeah, let's see. They've made it every year but one in uh, since 2014. So, I mean, Scott Drew has done incredible stuff there. We talked about it the other day on the podcast. Uh, he had another good run in the 2000s and the early, in the mid 2010s as well. We talked about it the other day now on on the drive, Dan. I think our crowd of people who listen to this might skew a little younger than than the drive um, because when we were talking about this, we were like, if you don't know, well, look it up. Look up what Scott Drew inherited at Baylor, man. Like it was one of the biggest scandals in college sports history. Something that goes far beyond just basketball uh, and recruiting or anything like that. Really, really uh, just terrible scandal hitting uh, Baylor basketball. And he inherits his team and takes them from a, a position where they really didn't have a ton of basketball history to now I just rolled off the list of accomplishments. This is one of the most consistent teams in the country year in and year out. Can't say I know what all of Baylor's roster is going to look like next year. 
Um, haven't really dug into that a ton at this point. Uh, we'll need to. But, I mean, Scott Drew's team the last three seasons have been the number two, number eight, and number two offenses in the country. Top 20 each of the last five years. Top 20, I think. Looks like they've been top 20. Looks like they, looks like they have been a top 20 offense in college basketball, according to Ken Palm, for 13 of the last 15 years. Like, this is this is what they're good at. And, uh, man, a, a really, really good matchup. What, what do we guys think, both of y'all, about Auburn opening the year with a really tough opponent? This is something they don't do often. Like I said, 1988 was the last time they did that. Instead of just getting it off easy and rolling in, the start of the season, um, you know, it, 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 it an easy home game. This is the complete opposite. So, so, so for, first of all, back on the Baylor scandal uh, front, uh, you know, content warning for people because yes. it's a it's, it's a, a grim, yes. violent sort of story. But there's a, I believe, Paramount Plus has it. Showtime in the last decade has produced a documentary called Disgraced about the Baylor scandal that took place before Dave Bliss got there. And I think it would be, you know, if you're if you're unfamiliar uh, with where that program, you know, came from, the depths that Dave Bliss, uh, you know, or, or that uh, it was it, the scandal was when Dave Bliss was was there in, in uh, as, as, as the coach. I, I apologize. But but that's uh, I would I would encourage people to check out that documentary if they, uh, you know, if, if they want more details about that. But where Baylor is now, like, wh- I mean, th- this is and they just I think the day they've announced the Auburn game, they landed a big time prospect uh, from the portal. Ray J. Dennis, I believe, mm-hmm. is the is the guard's name. He was considered one of the top perimeter players in the portal at this point sounds like Baylor's not done uh, with uh, with remaking their roster uh, with players in the portal this is going to be it's going to be a needle mover of a game early on for Auburn because Baylor as usual is going to profile as a high level NCAA team and you know I, th- I think there are some folks that are that are looking at them as you know one of one of the uh, one of the contenders going into next season it's going to be a really really tough matchup and I, I think it's interesting also the timing we talk about having a home game to start the year, get it going. It'll be interesting to see what the rest of the schedule goes. But the thing about this this game, Auburn is playing uh, starting the season against Baylor. Week one of college basketball season, that falls directly between Auburn's uh, road trips in football to Vanderbilt and Arkansas. So, yep. you know, not opening the year at home when everybody might be out on the road or at least, you know, there, there might be more travel with, with football. Not the worst thing in the world timing-wise. We'll see what they end up doing later that week, but – um, you know, on the weekend, but it is at a time when Auburn football is going to be on the road as well. And that's what makes, uh, you know, Scott Drew, the, 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 the scandal made what Scott Drew has done all the more impressive since he got there. I, I would say that Scott Drew and Bruce Pearl, when they face each other, you know, th- those are two guys who, and the programs were in, in difficult shape for different reasons, but those are two guys who have accomplished as much at their current programs or who have, orchestrated two of the more impressive turnarounds of anyone in big time basketball and they're going to face each other with those programs that they've turned around because before the scandal it wasn't like Baylor had consistent success in men's basketball in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s before the Dave Bliss scandal Scott Drew has built something that wasn't there before he arrived and I would say for for Bruce Pearl there's a little bit of that with like Tony Bennett oh yeah I suppose you know Virginia Virginia would be another one in that category where they did have some big names at one point in time yeah Virginia Virginia's had success in men's basketball before it was I mean they, they they were adrift when 
Tony Bennett arrived, but it wasn't a program, like you said, yeah, it wasn't a program bereft of tradition. It just sort of didn't have the tradition of some of the other yeah. ACC rivals there. To but. your point, Dan, Baylor had only gone to the NCAA tournament four times before Scott Drew showed up. 1946, 1948, 1950, and 1988. Real grim. In fact, probably even more grim than Auburn basketball's own history uh, before that before they came. And again, inheriting the remains of a very awful scandal uh, that, that that really just rocked all of college sports when it happened. Um, Dan, I think you're pretty good. If you probably most of the people who know about who've who are listening to this have heard about it at some point, and they know what we're talking about. But if you don't content warning there on that one because it is it is a grim tale for sure uh with what happened with dave bliss by the way just looking this up dave bliss was the head coach at smu at basketball while the football scandal was going on uh well the, and and he was in hot water for that as well and he chose to leave for new mexico he left for the new mexico job but a lot of people thought if that a lot of people thought that the ncaa didn't drop the hammer on smu basketball because they had already done so in football so it, Guy's got decades of history there. Whew, rough, rough stuff. Um, but yeah, Auburn playing uh, Baylor to start the year. This is shaping up to be a pretty good non-conference schedule already. Auburn playing Indiana uh, in Atlanta. Um, you know, we know that. They've also got USC coming to town as well. Bronny James. The Bronny James experience will be coming to uh, Neville Arena. They will play. That's gonna be that. That's gonna be enormous because it's not just Bronny James. It's also the number one player in the in the country. Also, also yeah. signing with USC along with them. I mean, they're talking about uh, ha- having to drastically. My folks in Los Angeles have been telling me there's there's talk of having to drastically redo sort of how they handle VIPs at the Galen Center and the, and, and the as sort someone of, who know, covered the, a game at the Galen Center this past year, it's not ne- it's not necessarily like super VIP. Like it's not like a. It's a basketball arena. It's a it's a good like yeah. medium sized basketball arena, but it's not like this. It's not Rupp. It's not you know Thompson Bowling at at, at Tennessee. Like it's a it's and it's not and it's not the Staples Center or the Forum no. either, which is where when you have LeBron James's son and the program has you know with with other high level players, Dennis Rodman's son is coming to, uh, coming aboard, right? Transferring uh, to USC, DJ Rodman, I believe, uh, is uh, is from, from Washington State. Also signed up, who was one of the uh, you know, w- one of the more intriguing players in the portal uh, after the season he just had in Pullman, and then I'm, the the name of the number one player escapes me, but USC signed uh, the the number one overall player from the class of 23 as well as Bronny James and and, and the uh, and the and, and DJ Rodman. So I would say this is a uh, th- this is a uh, a team that will have a lot of attention on it. Everywhere they go, but especially when they uh, when, when they come. That to would Auburn. be former Auburn target Isaiah Collier from from Marietta. That's right. Uh, really good point guard prospect, uh, number one according to some sources, and he he is the number one player that is going to college because uh, the other number one contender, Ron Holland from Texas, is uh, going the pro route uh, out of out of uh, going to the G League. So, um, yeah, that's a. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a massive game. Other uh, on top of that, uh, they they have the game in Brooklyn, the two games in Brooklyn, where they are guaranteed to play two of either Notre Dame, St. Bonaventure, and Oklahoma State. And as we also know, they will play an ACC team in the ACC SEC Challenge that launches this season as well. So, I I do not think we're going to get to the end of next season for Auburn basketball and think their schedule held them back in any regard. In fact, like we saw last season, I think it could be a case of it could help you out your seating a ton, help your positioning a ton. Uh, just because of how tough it's going to be, and we all know the SEC is uh, is primed to be a really, really big force in college basketball yet again this year. 
All right, fellas. I think that's good. Uh, like I said, I will be out for the next couple podcasts, but Dan and Painter will have the will run the show for you. Might have a guest or two if you want to check that out. I'll have uh, newsletters coming out this this week. I have that that two part uh, depth chart uh, series coming out on Tuesday and Wednesday. You want to check that out? I had a little fun doing some of that. Dan's got the mailbag on Friday. Once again, send the questions either to him on Twitter. You can email them to me or respond uh, to any of our posts, uh, and you can get the questions into Dan that way. And uh, yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back on the podcast in about a week and a half or so, a couple of weeks. So uh, I leave it in the fully capable hands of Painter Sharpless and Dan Peck. So looking forward to it. That's it for me. See you guys in a couple of weeks. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, what's on tonight? Oh boy, oh boy. All right. So, so first of all, are we? So we can't talk. Are we? Are we ever going to be allowed to talk about the succession finale? Like, what are the rules here, Justin? I, uh, I, I don't. Yes, give me. Well, I don't know if this is really for me, but I'll make it about me. I am okay. about to be done with Breaking Bad, just ten years late, and then I'm going to get through Succession. I think we can. We can so. wait a few weeks, Dan. Okay. All right. When you give me the green light, we could. We could yeah, talk. When, when Painter season. gives you the green light. All right, cool. Because I don't, I don't want to step on any toes here. I respect the process of people who can't watch the show live or want to wait and watch it with a, you know, with with a certain person or, or whatever the reasons are. That that's fine. I've been, uh, I, you know, as part of the whole '90s movie thing. I've I've I watched Jackie Brown again this week. Painter, you ever seen Jackie Brown, the uh, the Tarantino uh, film, no. his follow up to, to Pulp Fiction? Oh, it's wonderful. I'm a big I'm a big Jackie Brown fan, and De Niro who's not the star of Jackie Brown. He's got a, a smaller part in it, but he really made like, I'd put his filmography just from the nineties up against just about any other actor. Cause he made such, he picked such great projects, uh, casino and Goodfellas and wag the dog and Jackie Brown. Uh, and, and I would, I would lump, Oh, heat of course. Uh, and, and then I would, I would throw Ronan, in there as well, which is a movie. I don't know how many folks know about Ronan. It's a John Frankenheimer's car chase film throughout Europe with uh, De Niro and uh, Jean Reno from uh, from the late '90s. It's outstanding. Oh, Ronan's Ronan's great, and I think they had a hard time selling Ronan because the timing may have coincided with the Princess Diana mm. accident, and so like a movie based around high speed car chases throughout like different European metros wasn't like a, a great like just the awful timing and so but it's but Ronan is a slept on classic from uh, from from the late 90s that I would encourage folks to check out if they if they're looking for a De Niro movie they, they haven't seen or just an just an action film uh, that they may have uh, they, they may have let slip through the cracks one of my favorite Twitter uh, film Twitter people is John Frankensteiner whose name is of course based around uh, John Frankenheimer the director of uh of of uh, Ronan among other films, there's also a, you know there's there's a wrestling mm-hmm. <laughs> wrestling reference in there with the Frankensteiner too. But no, Heat's Heat's uh, you know uh, uh, Heat's great, but Ronan is Ronan is just perfect. If uh, if if you've never Damn, seen it, best Tarantino movie go. You know, I, I probably would go Jackie Brown. Yeah. Like I've I've now I've now sort of built myself into where I just I love all the little nooks and crannies of it. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, when it was in theaters, was like yeah. was really was really working its way up my list. I love Kill Bill One, which I believe it were coming up on a twentieth yes. anniversary of uh, late, later this year. Kill Bill Volume One is. 
like you know it's got two or three of the best fight scenes ever in it like I do I do think that one the second one gets a little philosophical and a little slow for my tastes but the uh, but but Kill Bill Volume One is just uh, is just awesome but I would and then Pulp Fiction has like this like it's it's it, Pulp Fiction's this movie that I've seen so many times it's tough to really like compare it to other things but I would I'm gonna be one of the obnoxious people that would vote for for Jackie Brown as my as my favorite Tarantino. 